Welcome to episode 122 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Friday the 30th of July 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today we're bringing you the fourth in the SEO for e-commerce series partnered with Quickfire Digital and we're going to be talking about internal linking for e-commerce sites. So we'll be covering questions like should we link to products from our homepage? How anchor text affects rankings? Should we no follow internal links? Are footer links any good? Is it possible to have too many links on a page? That and many more super interesting questions. Well, if you're an SEO at least. Before we kick off, uh, I need to tell you, this podcast is sponsored by the lovely people at Sitebulb. Sitebulb, if you haven't heard of them, is an SEO auditing tool. It's desktop based, it's for PC and Macs, which I hear the team at Sitebulb absolutely love. And normally at this point, I tell you a whole bunch of things about Sitebulb or some of the specific features that I found particularly helpful because I am a Sitebulb user, I've used it for many years in the agency. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't have someone sponsor the podcast that we didn't believe in the tool or service or whatever it is that they're doing. That's the point, right? Um, that I'm kind of recommending this to you from a, from a personal level. And this um, sponsorship, at least in this episode, it's going to be a little bit embarrassing because in this conversation I have with Nathan Lomax from Quickfire now talking about internal linking, Sitebulb came up approximately 162 times. Um to the point where Nathan had to interject and mention that his podcast, his episode, his webinar was not actually sponsored by Sitebulb. And this wasn't because I was trying to specifically plug them. It was honestly because the questions he was asking me around internal linking and tooling, normally Sitebulb, in my opinion, was the best answer for the people listening. And I just think that says more than I could possibly say in in this kind of segment about Sitebulb. But we're going to be talking specifically about internal links. And that's one of the things I think that Sitebulb is really strong uh, with. So that is, it can do this audit of your site um, based on the crawl. And it will give you really nice data about your internal linking structure, what anchor text you're using, which pages are important based on your internal linking. Uh, I haven't seen anything else that gives it so quickly and so clearly. Here's the great news. You get a special offer if you're listening to Search with Canda. So go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC and you get an extended 60-day trial of Sitebulb. So you don't need any credit card, no payment up front. So it's completely free to test, see if you like it. Um, and as you'll hear in this recording now with Quickfire, there's a lot of good uses for Sitebulb. Good morning and welcome to the next episode in our series of SEO for e-commerce with the man himself, Mr. Mark Williams-Cook. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Just struggling oh. to find the other view there. Yeah, thanks for having me. Number four, I think it Number is, isn't four, it? Mate. Number four. I've had some wonderful feedback from those that are attending. Thank you for all of your kind comments coming in. For those that cannot make it live, remember this will be recorded. But for those that are able to join us live, please do put your comments in the chat. And as ever, we will do our best to get round to them. Now, because we're starting to get some momentum here, we've already had a few questions come in. So I'll start with those. 
and then we'll come to any live questions as we go through today's session. And so, Mark, without further ado, today's session is going to be around internal link building and internal linking within a site. And so, number one for internal linking, I mean, from a UX or a user experience point of view, a quick fire, we, of course, understand how critical this is, but it's also a key part for SEO. From your perspective, can you give us a quick overview of internal linking and why it's important within the SEO landscape? Yeah, sure. So keep it really simple to begin with. Um, when we talk about internal linking, it's nothing complicated. It's literally just describing how your web page is linked together through hyperlinks, which is the old fashioned name for those things we click on that take us to other pages on the web. Uh, it, you know, it, it's what the web is made from, which is essentially documents that are, that are linked together. Um, why it's important from an SEO point of view, again, is this is really the architecture around how search engines and crawlers work. It's about them discovering pages through links. And we'll get into the detail about it, but how you link different pages together and where you link them reflects strongly in their algorithms as to which pages are important and what pages are about. So as you said, there's definitely um, a user experience impact from internal linking because it's how our users get around our site. And I think a lot of people intrinsically have a feel for how that should be. You know, it wouldn't make sense to stick all of your main pages, you know, links hidden away somewhere on the site. We, we all know that, but there are, um, a set of principles that apply to search engines that might not be as obvious, which is what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, super important. Before I dive into those, uh, just a quick question around opening in a new tab versus the existing tab. Is there any kind of right or wrong methodology here? I've always signposted people to say if it's an external link like a PDF or something like that, which is maybe difficult to come back, go in a new tab. If it's your own site, go in the same tab. Is there any detrimental reasons for an SEO purpose to use one over the other or both fine? From an SEO point of view, there, there isn't any. Um, I think nowadays um, people avoid new tab links. Um, so this isn't my area of expertise, but I believe there is a uh, security concern now around links automatically opening in new tabs. Um, but yeah, from an SEO point of view, it makes no difference. Personally, from a from a UX point of view, I'm not I'm not particularly a fan of of new tabs now because you know I think it's rare that you get an experience where someone's say interested in a website, they click on something and then they're taken away and they're like, oh no, I'll never get back to that page I was reading. You know, I think everyone's pretty good with browser controls and stuff now. Um, pressing the back button. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh, if only it was there. to get to that level. <laughs> so let's dive in then in terms of prioritizing pages that are most important. I guess a worry for many retailers is that actually, okay, I've got this site architecture here. Mark, this all makes sense. How am I going to choose which pages carry the most importance? Yeah, so, I mean, this, this comes down, I think, to again we've got this overlap between user experience and seo so your most important pages uh, will be usually the pages anyway that are hard to rank for seo that you'd want high up in the architecture so if you if you're an e-commerce site these will tend to be things like your most popular category pages and by um you know by design anyway you should find these are quite high up in your 
link architecture they're linked to regularly. The things that I've seen maybe some e-com sites um, do a little bit wrong is when you get subcategories of subcategories and you, you know you start to get because you haven't thought very carefully about how you're going to categorize your products before you know it you're in a subcategory that's three or four clicks deep and of course that's tricky to find for a user um, and again from a from a search point of view the logic from a search engine point of view is if if a page is linked to from many other pages or in prominent places it therefore is probably an important page, right? If a page is only accessible through one link that is only found on one other page that itself is buried away, how important can that page really be? Because it's not gonna get that many users to it. Um, and I, I think it's a really good question to think about, again, in terms of users, in terms of search engines. So prioritizing which pages are most important, most likely gonna be your higher traffic pages, pages that are broader, in intent, so category category level pages generally for uh, for ecom sites. Perfect. Now, in question around uh, what about page rank? Because this is something e-commerce websites need to factor into their SEO plans. What actually is page rank? And perhaps you can just talk a little bit about it so others understand. Sure. So, um, page rank is one of the bigger original formulas that Google kind of became famous for. Um, so the thing that separated Google from other search engines um, was they based their algorithm around looking at how different web pages and therefore different websites linked to each other. And they came up with this um, algorithm called PageRank, which is what Google was originally based on when Google was called Backrub originally. Um, and all PageRank is, is every page that's created on the web has a tiny, tiny amount of this PageRank. It's assigned some PageRank. And when this page links to another page, there is a certain amount um, of PageRank. It can essentially create, pass over, if you like, to the pages that it links to. So what happens is as this graph of pages grows, page rank kind of gets lumped on certain pages that are popular, that are regularly linked to. Um, so the thinking is if you had a random web surfer clicking on links on the web, pages that had high page rank are statistically the most likely place that they would end up. Therefore, they're probably important pages. Now, PageRank has moved on since then. Um, although Google has said very recently they still use a version of PageRank um, in, in their algorithm. And we talk more about now what are reasonable surfer models, which are um, which means if you have two links on your on a web page and one is this big in your CSS, so it's a huge link, and one is a tiny footer link, we know that there's not an equal chance that either one of those links will get clicked on. The, the, the server will likely click on the, the most prominent, the biggest link. So we, we think about that as well now when we think about um, internal linking. Um, but this this is essentially what PageRank and its predecessor, um, 
predecessors were trying to describe, which is how how popular are particular pages, and from popularity, you it's one metric you could use to try and discern how important a page is. So this relates to internal linking, to literally what we were just talking about, which is I don't think it's maybe useful to have discussions anymore about page rank unless you're kind of being geeky and interested in the why it works that way. Um, it's maybe easier for marketers, for web designers, just to think about what it's describing, which is that important pages should be linked to internally, uh, you know, regularly from other important pages. Um, and, you know, we can talk later about there's all kinds of software and tools you can use to help you get like a bird's eye view of how things are linked That's together exactly and how search engines understand. That's exactly what I want to ask is this okay. tool, <laughs> about page rank. How do I go and find out the page rank on my site to know, okay, these are as seen by Google. These are your most important pages. Yeah. Um, so Google a long time ago used to actually have a thing called toolbar page rank, which was, um, it wasn't directly page rank, but it was a zero to 10 sort of scale that they would give to each page on the web and used to be able to get a toolbar and it would tell you roughly what the page rank of this website was. Um, and it would be a, a good way to work out which pages Google considered popular or not. Um, unfortunately, it led to all kinds of problems in terms of Google essentially then gave a, an objective metric for people to sell links to each other. Um, and it just became a lot more trouble than it was worth. So they actually canned that. So they don't, Google don't publish any information themselves on this is what the page rank of this page is or anything like that. Um, from, I mean, it's, it would be possible to calculate it yourself because the page rank formula is published, but obviously you'd need to kind of crawl the whole web, which is kind of time consuming. From an, from an internal linking point of view, and that's what I'm going to stick to because there are other tools, um, but we're kind of straying away from internal links there. It, if you want to look at you, how your pages link together internally, there's a really neat tool called Sitebulb. It's at sitebulb.com. They do a free trial. Um, and what that can do is it can crawl your website and it has a link report functionality, which will list all of the um, internal links on your site by how many times a specific page has been linked to, and it will assign them an importance on zero to one, one being most important. So it will say from your internal links, um, these are the pages that you've, um, you've kind of described as the most important. And then it goes on to other give you other useful information that we haven't touched on yet, like anchor text, which we can come to later. Um, but from a from a which pages have I linked to the most, that's a really great tool to use um, because it can be surprising sometimes which pages you're telling search engines are the most important. Well, a little bit off topic, but keen to talk about kind of crawler bots and bots in general. Can you talk us through what they do when they visit the website? I mean, so many people have come to us and said, look, we've adjusted our page structure. We've maybe reviewed our internal linking profile and all that good stuff. But now we need the site to go and re be re-indexed or for someone to come and do a crawl so that it can be updated. Just tell us a little bit more about what the bots do. And then when they've done their work, how then we can get it back into Google's algorithm, et cetera, so we're not having to wait months and months and months. 
Sure. So when we when it comes to search engines, there's essentially three stages, which is crawling, um, rendering, and indexing, and they don't necessarily happen um, quite in that order. Um, so Googlebot is normally the terminology we use when we refer to Google's um, spider robot. So a spider robot is essentially an automated piece of software that goes around the web and clicks on every link that it finds. And its job is basically to discover new URLs, new web pages, whether that be of images or HTML pages. Um, the the term Googlebot, though, just to confuse everyone, is kind of used interchangeably with all of Google systems by Google themselves as well. Um, so <laughs> don't let anyone be too picky about how you use it. I use it just to describe the, the crawler Googlebot. Um, so Googlebot visits web pages. It follows links, basically. It will go where the links take it, and it sends back lists of URLs and uh, raw HTML to Google. So that means it doesn't look at stuff like CSS or JavaScript, just looks at the raw, same as if you clicked on a web page and did view source. That's basically what it sees. And that's how it discovers new, uh, new pages. What then happens um, back uh, at Google kind of HQ, if you like, is they have an infrastructure which they refer to, again, normally as caffeine. And caffeine does the rendering part, which means that it processes the CSS, so how the website's styled. It processes, if it can, the JavaScript. So if you have got a website that's reliant on client-side JavaScript, Google will try and do that. Um, and then a decision is made, and it, it can be made as well before that rendering is done, as to whether your page will be indexed. So just because a page was crawled, and crawled means it was discovered by Googlebot, doesn't necessarily mean Google will choose to index it. If Google doesn't think the page is important enough, if it and by important enough, that can mean how it's internally linked to, how it's externally linked to, the content that's on the page, um, it may not index it. So it may not ever be included in the search results. Hopefully, if you've done everything right, you've got good content, unique content, you've got backlinks from other sites, you've linked to it internally, Google will um, deem it worthy of indexing, and then obviously it will appear. Um, Google tends to manage um, how often it crawls and such itself. So it does smart things like if you do a whole website redesign, you'll actually see a spike in how much Googlebot visits your website because it'll be like, hey, oh, stuff's changed here. I need to come and visit and check out, um, you know, how you've redecorated kind of thing. Um, Google also learns things like if your site maybe goes down because it's crawling too much, it will slow down how much it crawls. If it detects your website um, updates content really regularly, it might start visiting a bit more. Um, but generally, how often your site is crawled which is to do, which will determine how quickly your, your content gets re-indexed or refreshed, if you like, when new content gets discovered, is dependent on how many links you have from other websites, because it's those links that are sending Googlebot to you. So again, remember we talked about page rank and how the web links together, and um, that's the probability that the surfer will be on any one page at any particular time. Same applies to Googlebot. So we've got trillions, I don't know, some huge number of Googlebots bouncing around the web, and they're just following links. 
So it means that the pages with the most incoming links at any one time are where there's most likely to be the most Google bots sort of crossing paths. And therefore, if that page changes, it's always got, you know, Google's there like every two or three seconds because it's come in from some other link somewhere else. Whereas if you've published a page and it's only got one link from somewhere, you may only get visited, you know, once a week as Google kind of drives by. Um, so yeah, having having a having a site that gets regularly refreshed in Google is down to you convincing Google you're worthwhile and, and you're popular enough to do so. Well, I love your analogy around the redecorating and okay, you just the, the house refurb, but what about if you just redecorate one room? And in our case, you're just going to have a revamp of the homepage, but you're not going to do all the other pages. Can you tell these robots actually just do the homepage and don't worry about all the others? Because actually it's a waste of their time. It's a waste of your time. You just want them to recheck the homepage. Uh, I mean, there's, um, there was, well, it is, there was, they've switched it on and off a few times. You can use Google search console to kind of request a page be, um, re-looked at and indexed that puts it in a queue that kind of speeds things up. I mean, if it's your homepage, generally you will find without any effort, naturally homepages are where most links go to on a website. So internally, probably every single page links to the homepage, right? Because you've got a, a logo you can click on. And in terms of other websites linking to you, they probably have linked to your homepage. So if you're having to tell Google, despite that, to crawl your homepage, um, you've probably got problems in that, you know, you, you haven't got enough links and you're really not important at all. Um, I mean, your homepage should be getting crawled on a regular basis anyway. When it comes to issues of, mm, you know, this is this page isn't getting crawled enough, that's normally when you've got a site with half a million pages and there's a specific subset of article pages you can't get Google to look at enough. Um, homepages are, are rarely, rarely a problem. Good, thank you. Now, in terms of particularly on the e-commerce focus, I'm keen to talk about kind of products and collections on the homepage. There's a big debate around, okay, do we need uh, to show a carousel of products, best sellers typically, or or most typically purchased or uh, most popular and versus, okay, here's our top selling collections. What are your thoughts on showing products and collections on homepage versus sticking them in the nav and allowing people to navigate that way? Yeah, so it comes... I'm going to talk again here, which you probably shouldn't do, but strictly from an SEO point of view, because we can get into very long uh, user experience discussions, especially if we talk about carousels. Um, but from an SEO point of view, so objectively, there is definitely benefit if you link to what we refer to as deep pages from the homepage. I'm defining a deep page as ones that are not directly accessible from a main menu. So this may be specific products. So the only way you could get to a this specific product is normally maybe I go into the main menu, click on a subcategory and then have to click a couple more times. So if we, if, if that was the case, as we said, Google would say, okay, well, this product page is of medium or low importance because we have to click a few times to get there. If we stick that link to that product on the homepage, again, as we said, we know naturally the homepage is the most important page on the site, just because, not because it is the homepage, but because it's linked to from every page on the site and it's where most people link to. 
and then we're passing that authority whether we're thinking about page rank if we want to be nerdy to directly to that product page um, so we're telling search engines hey this product page is actually super important so what we're doing is not artificially but we're raising the importance and the popularity of that one particular product page which means it's very likely to rank better than it would do now this doesn't you know there there are limits to this you can't just put all 2000 products on your home page um think of it like you know you've got your jam on toast in the morning you know the the if you spread your jam it's going to go thinly so it the same applies with links like if you put a thousand links on your home page the kind of equity you've got a set amount of equity that you can pass to other pages so the more links you put on that page kind of the the, the thinner that's going so the less importance you're passing on um so it it's good again to have a sensible amount of links and again that's described by when you think about this random or reasonable surfer model um, even if someone's randomly clicking links, they're less likely to end up on that product page if you've got a thousand links and if you had 10 links. So, the old analogy it, bingo we're going through, Mark. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the next one for us to pick off. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's, it, it can be a really useful tool if you know, for instance, that you've got maybe you know halloween's coming up and you've got some specific products that you want to rank in terms of that so in the week or so coming up to halloween i might start linking to those products from the home page in an effort to to boost their ranking um people say you know should we put bestsellers on the home page yeah you could you could do i mean the reason i would look at why they're bestsellers because if they're bestsellers because basically they're already ranking really well you kind of don't need to put them on the home page. So I might choose something that's ranking position three, four, or five, because then putting it featuring on the home page actually might push it up to position one, two, or three, which is gonna give a big a bit like the chef's supper in a restaurant where there's certain bits you want to get rid of or shift. Maybe this is an opportunity to say, okay, these products aren't shifting as well as some of the others, therefore we'll put them in a most recently purchased or whatever, and hopefully encourage more people to purchase. I like. Is it. that why? Is that why they do that in restaurants? <laughs> that is one hundred percent why the chef's supper is always just nonsense from a from months gone by. It's just like we need to get rid of them. <laughs> I feel, feel so naive now. Um, yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. So I, you know, it, I think it's a good way to get people to discover other products that that might have that might have potential. Yeah. Mark, I don't want to prod the beast too much, but you mentioned about carousels and your love-hate relationship, or maybe all love, I don't know, but you said we could talk about it for hours. Without going into carousels for hours, are carousels right from an econ point of view when it comes to UX, or actually do you think uh, a lazy load or something else may be better? Don't use carousels. Everyone hates carousels. Yeah. If they say they like carousels, they're lying. <laughs> um, I've seen it... Pr proven many 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 times how they negatively affect performance um they tend to be things that people stick on sites when you know it's just like how do we show all these products oh, i can't think of a good way to do it let's stick it in a carousel um the the ones that don't automatically move are slightly less frustrating than the ones that do but the automatically moving carousels just need to burn i'm afraid <laughs> I'm really sorry, Nathan, if I just actually occurred to me, you've just published a load of sites with loads of automatic carousels on. Recently, yeah. I'm not a fan. 
Mark's been I'm speaking. They've got to come down. <laughs> I'm not a fan personally. I mean, always A-B test anything. You know, my thing is, if someone says to me, oh, I completely disagree with you, Mark, I think you're wrong. I love carousels. I'm like, absolutely fine. Um, you know, let's let's do a test. Let's Let's actually test it. But generally from a ux point of view and again not my specialist area so maybe i'm talking out of turn but uh, i've i've never had much luck or love with them And while we're in the midpoint of the show, I would like to introduce our sponsor Wix who has this update for you. URL customization on Wix is now available on product pages. You can now customize URL path prefixes or even create a flat URL structure if that floats your boat. Plus, Wix automatically takes care of creating 301 redirects for all impacted URLs. Full rollout coming soon. Also, fresh off the press, bot log reports. Get an easy understanding of how bots are crawling your site without any complicated setup right inside of Wix. There's so much more you can do with Wix. You can now add dynamic structured data, upload redirects in bulk, including error notification and warnings and fully customizable meta tags and the robots.txt file. You can get instant indexing of your homepage on Google, while a direct partnership with Google My Business lets you manage new and existing business listings right from the Wix dashboard. Visit wix.com forward slash SEO to learn more. Now, coming on to anchor text on a link, is there a best practice to follow when it comes to anchor texting? Uh, do we need to worry about over-optimization on pages or actually is uh, anchor text super important when it comes to internal link building? So anchor text, uh, for those maybe that don't know, is literally the text in the link. Um, so bad examples are where you see links that say, uh, click here or read more. Um, and Apart from search engines, there's a there's an accessibility thing there. So screen readers uh, for people who are maybe partially sighted or or non sighted will read out the anchor text of a link, and it's helpful to describe what the following page is. So rather than saying um, you know link click here link click here, if it says something like link download case study link you know um, whatever it is, see product range, that's a lot more helpful. Um, for for sighted users anyway, you know, how we use the web, when you scan a page, if you see what you recognize as links and they say what they're going to, it becomes a lot easier to scan the page because you don't need to read the surrounding context of the text to, to, to work that out. And again, the same applies for search engines. So we know search engines find links important, they take that anchor text um, very seriously in terms of describing what they're expecting to find on the next page. So seriously that one of the main things that Google tackled in their first Penguin algorithm update that targeted link spam was anchor text. So you mentioned there about over-optimization of anchor text. So the the kind of old link building technique and one I'm talking about link building, I'm talking about 
other sites linking to you was you would desperately try and get people to link to you with the term that you wanted to, to rank for. So if you're selling Elvis t-shirts, you're asking people to link to your category and can it please say Elvis t-shirts? This was one of the main signals Google used then to detect link spam because they realized it's quite unnatural actually for every site to link to each other with these kind of commercial terms. They normally just use a either link to the homepage or they just stick like the URL in without any anchor text. However, that over-optimization does not imply, um, apply, sorry, internally. And Google's been very clear about that and explicitly said that saying you cannot over-optimize anchor text internally so within your own site meaning if you have your category for elvis t-shirts you should absolutely have at least some of the anchor text where it makes sense saying elvis t-shirts um so if you have um lots of links to pages that are buttons that say things like you know click here or read more or view all things like that there's a chance that you can definitely increase your ranking by by using anchor text that's that's descriptive. Again, the tool I mentioned earlier, Sitebulb, when it um, when it lists all your internal links, it can actually list them by anchor text, so you can see the most popular anchor text you use internally, and it will show you where those pages are linking. So it's a really good. It's one of the on-site tasks that I'll do. Um, I was talking to a client actually yesterday about is when we do a site audit, we will look at how we can optimize that internal link structure. And again. It's one of those great things, as I said, that helps users at the same time, but super, super, super important. Really interesting here around the image link versus text link. So imagine you've got an e-com site, you've got products on your homepage. They might be in a carousel, God forbid. They might just be four or five on a page. That place of linking, some people choose to link the image through to the product page. Some people choose the text. Some people will put on a read more button or a buy now, whatever. Is there a preference? Should it be all of them? Should it be just be one of them? Do they carry more weight than others, etc.? Yeah, so this this was literally what we were covering yesterday with the client in terms of they had lots of articles and it had an image, the title, and then a button that said read more, I think it was. And the only thing they had linked was read more. And in the audit, we had said, well, apart from anything else, this title should be linked to the article because it, it describes what you want to rank for. And when we were talking through the audit with the client, they said, actually, yeah, when we were using the site on mobile, we did find it a little bit fiddly to click on the read, the read more button because um, the first thing they were doing, and it was the first thing that I did when I used the site, was I was just kind of madly tapping at the image, <laughs> you know, clumsily tapping at the image. So there, again, we're kind of creeping as we do into user experience. I mean, my view is it's it's always good to have us like make the link as easy as possible, make it as big as possible. So I, you know, it's, I prefer as a user to have the whole kind of block clickable. So the image and the text and, you know, again, personally, I'm not a fan of read more buttons. I think we're kind of, there's other ways with design that you can show that something is a is navigable, it's clickable, you know, however, you know, get a designer to tell you that, but I think there's lots of ways to do that. Um, you know, you don't see lots of, lots of big read more buttons all over like the BBC news site and stuff. Um, so yes, as long as the text is linked, 
you'll be fine because search engines can work that out. Um, you know, they'll, they will see both links, but one gives them information. Something you can do, um, I've got, um, I guess there's no way to prove that it helps, um, but I tend to do it anyway, is I use a nofollow um, attribute on, if I've got two links to the article, maybe say an image and the, the text, I will nofollow the image link. Now, nofollow, um, Google has said, you can use nofollow tags internally on internal links to give them a hint as to maybe which pages are not so important or links that they don't need to crawl. So because we've got a link to that page anyway with the text, um, I think the kind of signal we're giving there is this is the this is the link I kind of want you to pay attention to, i.e. the one that's descriptive, not so much the the image one. Um, I don't I couldn't tell you to be honest whether that definitely has an impact, but it's one of those things that is applied at a template level. Um, it's certainly in the tests I've done never had any negative impact. Um, and the so the actual cost time of doing it is very, very, very small because automatically applied. So Mark, I've got um I'm always very solutions focused and it stresses me out when it's not like, well, here's the solution to the problem. So I'm a little bit curious in terms of internal linking. Is there just like a set number that you say, Nathan, you need to be making sure there's at least this amount of internal links on the page? If there's less than this, you're going to get penalized. If there's more than this, uh, then you're just wasting your time. Is there like a holy grail number or actually it's just whatever is relevant for the site? Yeah, it's the it's the latter, really. I mean, you as I said, you'll never get kind of penalized for internal linking. Um, I think you just need to be, you know, sensible. It's not sensible to have 5,000 links maybe on a, on one page. I've, I've seen a page with 5,000 something links on, you know, it's not particularly sensible. Probably, I can just imagine my dad tuning in and just next time I see him, he's built his website and he's got <laughs> 5,000 links to the home page. And I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, what's yeah. happening Yeah. <laughs> so it is just a matter of, um, again, just balancing up the, the user experience. Because um, essentially what we're doing with SEO always is try and deliver a good user experience, but make that understandable to search engines. Um, and sometimes the principles when we're catering, sadly, to search engines make us more aware of what we should be doing for users anyway. So I think anchor text is a really good example um, where people have a model in their head about how they think they're trying to be helpful even though they don't like it or use that use that themselves so what you know for me carousels is one but the read more buttons is like another one right people generally will browse the web fine without read more buttons they don't need them and they know they don't need them but then when it comes to them having input on how a website should be designed they're like oh, okay an article we should have a button that says read you know that well do do, do we need that though um and then you get to this conversation about anchor text and you know good design, and that's that's all we're doing really. So yeah, the common sense does apply. Mark, for retailers listening today and any business owner really, let's say they've just gone through a site migration and they're now looking for broken links, and this seems to be uh, the bugbear for many business owners out there. That actually they go through a process of migrating a site. And actually, they don't realize that there was a load of internal links perhaps they forgotten about or didn't know existed, and now a stack of them are broken. 
how can you scan the site to see, okay, yeah, I've got these broken links and now I need to go and fix them? Um, again, I would I would actually lean on Sitebulb again. So Sitebulb, um, part of what they do is a full crawl of the site and they have a, an engine that kind of looks for problems for you and one of them, one of them is broken links. There's quite a few tools now. Um, I mean, SEM Rush does site crawls. You've got Content King. Um, you've got um, you've got Screaming Frog. So loads of tools will do these types of scans. Specifically, what you're talking about there in terms of site migration, what is important is doing that crawl and getting a list of links before you migrate as well, um, and actually then recrawling links that should be redirected after the migration is is super important as well as then yes once you've migrated you need to you know at, at the bare minimum make sure all the links on your site are still working so if you've migrated a site and you're crawling it and the internal links are broken um you've done a really bad job with that migration like Aim really bad you. you should be sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, I think Sitebulb should probably sponsor today's episode because I've had a few shout outs. But just to make sure everyone's aware, Mark is in no way affiliated with Sitebulb. You use it, right? But at the same time, like you're not getting paid to say that. It generally is a cracking tool. <laughs> yeah. It's all you need to do. Now, when we talk there about redirects. I'm interested to learn the difference between the 301, the 302, the 303. <laughs> the list goes on. There's redirects for every occasion. Uh, perhaps you could just share with the audience like the difference between a 301, 302, when to use it, when not to use it, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, those are what we call HTTP response codes. Um, and ones that start with three are normally to do with redirects. And yeah, the two main ones that we use are 301s and 302s. 301 is what's treated as a permanent redirect and a 302 is treated generally as a temporary redirect although there is a 307 which is technically more um a temporary redirect but for all intents and purposes it's kind of the same thing um generally people use 301s and 302s because they or they use 302s more because they are the ones that have been tested more um, so we know Google treats 302s, 307 is the same, but, um, you know, why rock the boat when you know something's been working? So how how we use them, 301s, um, this is going to sound really obvious, but you do the, what it says on the tin. So if you have a URL that is permanently moved, you use a 301 redirect, permanent redirect. And what will so happen like, then? Like a dot .html or, or sometimes at the end of URLs, they've got, they're not just a standard .co.uk, right? It can be uh html or something else and therefore that would be a case for a 301 yeah absolutely yeah so so whenever you want someone permanently to be somewhere else is when you use a 301 redirect so case cases might be use cases might be uh you mentioned like migrations earlier so we now url a is now at url b we want it to be there permanently so we use a 301 redirect what that will trigger search engines to do is actually replace the URL in the search results. So if they've indexed URL A and then you are redirecting to URL B, what will happen normally after a few days is search engines will say, okay, well, they're telling me it's permanently moved. So I'm going to remove URL A from the index and just send people directly to URL B. 
which is why if you change domain, for instance, the new domain will slowly appear. The, the case you've mentioned, there's a, another really interesting one. So um, internal redirects, which are, are redirects inside your own site are quite common. So the um, an example might be whether or not your URLs have a trailing slash on the end, because annoyingly the way search engines work is they treat a URL with and without a trailing slash as two different pages. So generally you will pick one kind of that you want to use. So you're going to say all our URLs do or do not have a trailing slash. And then you will set up a 301 redirect that pushes say all non-slashed pages to slashed pages. So you're squishing those pages together. So you're preventing duplicate content and you're doing that permanently. So that's another use of a 301 redirect. 302 redirects, um, guess what? Therefore, when URLs are temporarily moving, but the use cases are quite limited. The Essentially, what the advantage is, is that if you use a 302 redirect, so if URL A temporary redirects to URL B, search engines generally will not update the URL they're showing in the search results. So if you are temporarily showing, for instance, your uh, you're sending people off to a page because of coronavirus, maybe, but you want to keep your old page ranking, you might use a 302 redirect if you know it's only going to be like a month because you can send users there um, very reliably and search engines will keep your original page ranking. So if, when you remove that 302, it will just go back to, to what it was. Um, word of warning that if you leave 302s in place for months and months, they will just get treated like 301 redirects. Search engines will say, hey, they probably used the wrong one. It's been six months. You know, it doesn't look like we're on a break. It's actually happening. So I'm just <laughs> going to treat it as a permanent redirect. Love it. In terms of uh, two questions on that, one is around uh, 301 redirects. So let's say you go through the site, you make a load of 301 redirects, you're really chuffed, and then old crumbs, you've made a mistake. Actually, you look three days later, and those three or ones you've set up, maybe a couple of them aren't going to the right place, et cetera. Can you just re-upload and, and go again? Or actually, do you need to give it some time for Google to correct itself? You don't want to confuse it by saying, go here. No, no, go over there. No, made a mistake. Actually, go over there. Well, first of all, you've done a bad job and you should be sad again. Um, <laughs> secondly, if you have, so say you have migrated URL A to URL B, and then you've gone, oh, crumbs, we should have migrated it to url c you absolutely should just update the redirect as soon as possible so a goes to c and then your b url if that's also meant to go to c that should be updated as well to go to url c um, what you don't want to do is create your what i'm trying to avoid there is creating redirect chains so say a went to b and then you realize that it's actually meant to go to c you don't want to then just redirect B to C because then so if someone went to URL A, they'd get redirected to URL B and then the server will go, oh no, wait, carry on. You've got to go to URL C <laughs> and this is going to cause latency for the user. Um, and Google stops crawling after five redirects. So there's a hard limit for Google bot. Um, and that sounds like a lot, but actually, and I've seen this happen when, when websites over the years just have these 
redirect rules get built up you've maybe done two site redesigns you know that third one it's it's not uncommon then if nobody's looking after it for these redirect chains to start appearing so maybe oh it's, it's going from http to https and then they set up a inefficient redirect that then does the slash to the to the non slash and then a then b then c you're already at five or six redirects um there was a really good example with um i think it was top shop online or no it's house of frazier sorry so with house of frazier um they lost millions in online revenue because they ended up creating a big redirect chain when they were just moving from uh, non-secure to secure um, and they lost half the search visibility um, within a week. And this was this was like millions of visitors. Um, so yeah, bad things can happen with simple things if you don't pay attention to them. Question with, re is it relative linking? Essentially when we're not putting HTTPS in the whole link, when we're doing an internal link, we're just going from the forward slash. Perhaps we could just share a little bit about that for those that are looking to create internal uh, links within their pages. Yeah, so you've, you've basically got absolute or relative links absolute links are ones that specify the whole address so as you say they start with the protocol normally https www.mysite.com whatever it is forward slash category product uh, relative links are on a page and they are relative to your current um, kind of position your visit so browsers and crawlers can work out that you're on this site and the link just goes to you know forward slash category product Generally, um, most CMSs will do this automatically. Absolute linking is, is much preferred just because there's no room for error there. Um, when you start using um, relational relative linking, you've got room for errors to creep in, whether it's with crawlers or your own internal linking. Um, it, it, you're just making an opportunity for things to go wrong. And generally, you know, good design practices, you're trying to create systems where there is not, there is no opportunity or there's the fewest possible opportunities for things to potentially go wrong. So there's, there's no benefit to, you know, relational linking. So there's only a potential risk. So it's something I never do. Folks, just to reset the room, we've got about five minutes left and we're going to keep going through as many questions as we possibly can. So please do keep them coming in. This is your chance to ask Mark anything around internal linking and SEO in general. Now, my next question comes to orphaned pages on a website. Let's say we're using some pages for a Google ad campaign, perhaps. What do we do there around internal linking? Do we just avoid these because essentially their purpose is just as a landing page to direct relevant traffic to off the back of an ad? Yeah, so uh, orphan pages, again, just to give a definition to everyone, are, are pages that are not linked to from any other page on your site. So generally, they won't get found, they won't get indexed. Um, with Google with Google Ads, I try and encourage clients when we do Google Ads to um, use the page that they would want to rank organically. Um, generally, because I'm like, if, if you're paying for to get people on this search traffic, we, we, we would like a chance to, to rank organically as well. Um, sometimes those pages, of course, are slightly different or you might want to A-B test things. Um, if it's the case where you would like to, you have like an orphaned page, if you like, and because you're testing a new PPC landing page, what I tend to do is you can make the orphan page and then I use a canonical tag back to 
the the kind of other variation that is crawlable um and this means that if you get any links to your google ads page that you get the benefit for them as well so the the tricky thing is if you have an orphan page and you get links to it it will become indexed so people could potentially just land even though it's not linked to on your site could land straight from google on this page um, unless you specify to Google as well, it's often then we don't want it indexed. And then you've got the potential downside of if it's not indexed and it's orphaned and people do like it and link to it, you're not getting the kind of halo benefit from that, which could help the rest of your site to rank. So that I would say there maybe isn't like a correct fits all answer and it will depend on what you're trying to achieve. Um, but there's lots of options available when it comes to if you're specifically doing PPC and testing different pages outside your um, outside your internally linked pages. But you just need to be aware it is something you need to actively have a plan for and manage again, or you're just going to be wasting potential benefit you could get. What are we doing about footer links? A lot of websites have kind of useful links in the footer and typically links to T's and C's and stuff like that. Uh, any do's or don'ts when it comes to footer linking? Yeah, so footer links are really interesting because they used to work really well because, again, following our line of conversation earlier, they're linked, you know, if you put links on your footer, in your footer, they're linked to from every page. So they tend to be important. And you can generally, you've got a little bit more space to use the anchor text that you'd like. However, Google's pretty smart now in that it will recognize what are menu links on a site. So Google will work out what are templated links and what are kind of editorial in content links. And certainly Google knows the position of those links on the page. So again, going back to our reasonable surfer model, links in your footer are not going to be anywhere near as valuable as links in your main menu, assuming you have a main menu that's easily accessible at the top of your page and assuming your footer links are kind of tiny links tucked away in the footer. Um, I think they can still be useful, um, primarily for that kind of anchor text stuff. Um, sometimes I use them as a shortcut to fix other um, user experience issues. Um, and I, I would give, I would put my hands up here and give um, <clears throat> our own with Candor site as an example here, which is that, we designed the site, um, you know, put it live. And I didn't use footer links, but one of the things we did on the homepage was basically I put a list of some of our key services on because when we were actually doing user testing um, and getting and looking at analytics, we were, it was becoming apparent that while our menu in the main menu was logical, it didn't necessarily just kind of tell people what we did and what services we offer so um in the end i just opted to well let's just use some homepage space to list the half a dozen main things that we do for people um and you know it becomes very clear then to visitors when they scroll okay well this agency does these things but then i now have nice deep links to those pages from the homepage. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of those pages rank quite well um, because we've got those links. So when I'm using footer links, it, it's normally to kind of fix other sometimes sort of user issues. 
So they can be helpful, but they're certainly not like a, a hack that's going to make pages rank well that otherwise shouldn't. Mark, last couple of questions. We've just had some lovely feedback in from Mahela, which is really the theme of the last four sessions. She says, I can't believe this level of practical knowledge packed into a live chat. Thank you so much. It's really lovely to hear that, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. Two to go, Mark. We'll eke a little bit more value out of you. In terms of any other tools you recommend when it comes to internal or external link building, are there any tools that we can give to the audience today to say from uh, 10 o'clock when we finish this session, go away, go and look at Sitebulb, go and look at this one, get yourselves an account and get cracking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so off the top of my head, apart from Sitebulb, uh, Little Warden is a really nice tool um, for um monitoring the mundane i think because they they put it so this is if if things break um it's a really really good tool um to to monitor if pages are going down links are breaking that kind of thing um screaming frog has been around for a long time um one of the most popular web crawlers um it's similar to sitebulb but different um but another tool a lot of people use um content king um so you can go to trycontentking.com, get a free trial. That's like a cloud-based crawler for your site. So it's it's basically like a software as a service version, I'd say, of something like Sitebulb. So it will constantly crawl your site. You have to pay monthly for it, but the advantage is you can get very fast updates if something breaks, like Little Warden. Um, and then you've got the kind of suites of tools uh, like probably SEM Rush is one of the most widely known ones. Um, very widely known because they had that. I think they're the only SEO tool they had their IPO a few weeks ago, um, and I thought it was quite interesting. So I think it's the only SEO tool that's that's been through that process. So everything's becoming very serious now that we've got tools, you know, publicly traded. Um, but that does a whole bunch of stuff. But that's got um, kind of site audit, if you like facets similar to content king and we'll give you alerts um we'll tell you about anchor text that kind of stuff but yeah tool, there's loads of tools out there it really just comes down to you know your budget and how big your site is and you know if you've got people to actually use them um as with any as with any tool you know without pressing my um circus of analogies you, you, these tools won't do the job for you you know they are that they're tools they will tell you things um some of them will give you false positives. Some will completely miss things. They're all limited to what they can do in comparison to a human. And the only value you get from them is when you intelligently apply, you know, what they're telling you. Because um, I've seen, again, lots of people buy tools, they look at them and they don't really do anything with, with you know, they don't action it. But there's some good ones to start with. Mark, amazing. Thank you. So just recapping, we've talked about Jam on Toast. We've talked about Elvis T-shirts. We've talked about HTTP response codes. We've talked about Sitebulb for the 10th time. We've talked about all sorts of tools, and it's been a cracking session. But for those that are perhaps catching the very end of this episode, what is the one thing you would encourage everyone to do from today when it comes to internal link building? Yeah, I would just, whenever you are, well, I'd encourage people to whenever it's relevant on any page link to anything else that you mention so if you mention products services categories link to it and think about 
that link in isolation? Is it describing the page you're sending people to? It's just a really nice usability, accessibility, SEO thing you can do. So just don't have click here, read more. If I can reduce the amount of click here and read more on the internet, then I'll be a happy person. And carousels, back off the carousels. I'll leave carousels alone. For, um, <laughs> this, this is my thing. This is, yeah, that's another battle for another day. Now, folks, Mark has very kindly once again given up an hour of his time to share all this knowledge with us today. Mark, for anyone that's interested to find out more about yourself or the business or to start working with yourselves, how can they find out more and where can they go? Uh, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can find me, Mark Williams Cook. Um, if you just Google Canda, you should find Canda Agency. Um, if you do, if you're interested in talking to us about SEO, um, and also I run a weekly podcast called Search with Canda. Uh, which is 20, 30 minutes every week, just talk about SEO, PPC, um, updates and such. Um, I see there's just one question that I'll answer on the end there, which is, yeah, yeah. is there any SEO certification you guys recommend? Um, to be honest, the answer is no to that. There, there isn't any particular certification, certainly as an employer doing SEO for 16 years that I look for or think, oh, that's, that's really kind of worth it. You know, there are courses that are probably worth doing, but there isn't a certification that the industry looks for, no. Perfect. Mark, as ever, it's wonderful uh, to spend the last hour with yourself. Thank you for providing so much uh, knowledge and wisdom. Thank you to all those that have joined us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, there's more. There's always more. If you would like to join in on our LinkedIn live sessions, we will be doing another SEO for e-commerce uh, series. And we may actually extend this series because it's been so popular. Uh, open it up every time we're getting more and more questions. But if you follow me on LinkedIn, so just search for Mark Williams-Cook, you will find me. I believe I'm the only Mark Williams-Cook there. If you find me and either connect with me or follow me, you'll get notifications as to when we're planning on doing these live events. And it'd be great to have you join in. Of course, I'll be back in one week's time with a normal show for you, a kind of regular news SEO PPC episode, which will be Monday the 9th of August. Hope you tune in, tell a friend about the podcast if you're enjoying it. And of course, I hope you have a wonderful week.